Hello and welcome to Joy, Passion and Profit, where our intention is to empower entrepreneurs to build companies that change the world. And this show is based on a lesson that I learned from my grandfather. When I was approximately 10 years old, I'll never forget, I walked up to my grandfather and I told him that when I got older, I was going to be rich. And he looked at me and he asked me, well, how are you gonna do that? And I told him that I was gonna start my own company. I was 10 years old. And so he looked at me and he said, you know, that's a great goal to have. And he says, if you're going to be rich, I'm gonna tell you two things you have to do. He said, the first thing you have to do is learn to think like rich people. He said, the only difference between rich people and poor people is how they think. And he said, the second thing you have to do is you have to learn how to listen because rich people will tell you how they got rich and it is up to you to listen to what they say. And that means reading their stories, learning as much as you can from them, and then applying what you learn from them to build your own company. And so the intention of this show is for you to listen. And so I bring on guests that can share wisdom and insights with you to support and empower you to become the best entrepreneur you can possibly be. And so I've got a really special guest today. And I get to call this guy my friend, even though we've never met. I've had an opportunity to be on his show and I've listened to his podcast and I'm truly inspired. And I, I kind of think of him as my brother from another mother because we're on the same page when it comes to inspiring entrepreneurs to reach their fullest potential. So without further ado, I want to introduce you to Mr. Alberto Sardinas. Alberto, how are you, sir? I am doing great, Michael. How are you? Fantastic, fantastic. So glad to have you on the show. As mentioned, you and I are both, you know, coming from the same place, inspiring people. And, and again, it's just an honor to have you on the show. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm honored to be here. Thank you so much for having me. So we're going to be talking a little bit about what you do, but I want to start off with just a few icebreaker questions. So first of all, tell us a little bit about where you're from and maybe growing up. What was that like for you? Absolutely. So I was born in Venezuela. Caracas, Venezuela is where I'm from. I was born and raised there by a Cuban father and a Colombian mother who met in Miami when they went to college. So um, my dad left to Cuba, from Cuba to Venezuela uh, in 1960, and then he came to college here. My mother had you know, been raised in Colombia and came to college as well. So they met here, but then Venezuela was doing really, really well. So my mom was about seven months pregnant when they decided to move. Um, they had been married for about three years, and she was like seven months pregnant. They decided to move to Venezuela. So uh, my brothers and I were all um, raised, you know, born and raised in Venezuela. I'm the, uh, I'm the oldest one of, of the three of us, and uh, we're now here in Miami. I moved to Miami um, 19 years ago. And the idea to move to Miami came from um, graduating from college and the School of Communications and wanting to do a business degree. That's what I wanted to pursue. My family has always done business and I've always been very interested in the world of business. So um, after I graduated from college and all throughout college, I had the opportunity of working in radio, which I still do to this day. Um, but I wanted my business degree and I had the opportunity to support from my parents and I, you know, saved some money while I was in college and I moved to Miami, um, to pursue my MBA and graduated, uh, from the university of Miami. So, um, nice. very blessed to do that. I was the only, only crazy guy in the MBA program looking for a radio job. Nobody really understood that, <laughs> uh, but it just made sense to me. And, um, and then I started working here in the media industry and I've been working ever since. Fantastic. Now, I want you to think about a female hero that you look up to. Who would that be? Oh, definitely my mother, without okay. question. Without question. My mother was a warrior. She was a warrior in so many ways. She was, um, you know, when, when my grandmother um, was expecting my mother, um, she was very afraid because um, she already had, you know, two sons and a daughter. And they were not expecting to have my mother. So when my mother uh, was born in 1952, my grandmother was 40 years of age, which mm. these days is perfectly normal. But in 1952, it was a different story. And I know it's not a long time ago, but it was a different story and it was difficult. So, um, so she went to Chicago because she wanted you know, a, a family member to actually be able to deliver the baby. And um, the day she was born, um, 
she was brought out with forceps, which was also a very delicate thing. It could still be delicate. I'm not even sure if that's something they do these days or not, but, but it was just not the ideal situation. And, uh, and, you know, and she was recommended by the doctors to actually let my mom die. Ooh, wow. You know, I mean, they said she's not going to make it, you know, there's really not a lot of sense in keeping her. And, and, um, you know, she, she went through that episode, of course, learned about her when she, you know, when she was a lot older and she grew up just fine to be, you know, a professional and a wife and a mother. And, um, and, and she was always someone who was fighting and, and making sure that, that we were fine, that, that we did well. Um, when I was in my second year of college, my mother was diagnosed with breast cancer. And uh, it was a very, very difficult time for all of us because back then, you know, I was my second year of college. I was probably between 18 or 19. I started college when I was 17. And um, it was, it, cancer was a word uh, that was for other people, not for you, not for your family. You know, one of those things, you know, that you would never think that you would ever go through. And, uh, and, and it happened to us. Um, now, what, what was really amazing was that my mom, when she was diagnosed, um, I believe she was diagnosed with breast cancer stage three, and she was only given a few months to live. However, we had the blessing of having her for almost 10 years, wow. with great quality of life, with a normal life, so to speak, although the last two years were a lot you know, more difficult, but she managed to live you know, a fulfilling and happy and joyous 10 years. So, so she's definitely my hero in, in so many ways. And is someone that, uh, you know, that, you know, she's no longer with us, but she's definitely, uh, in spirit and in everything I do. Wow. What an inspiration. Thank you for sharing that story. Um, now I know you're like me and you probably read a ton and ton of books, but share one of your favorite books, regardless of what genre it is. What's one of your favorite books? You know, I have to say, that I've been reading a lot of really interesting books these days. And um, I recently, and, and by the way, my, you know, I had a really hard time with reading because I have such long days, as I'm sure you also do, that when I got to bed and I would just say, you know, just, you know, have like small talk with my wife after a long day and just like catching up with her, I would try to pick up a book and I would not last 10 minutes reading. I felt so bad because there were so many books that I kept buying. She started making fun of me. She's like, oh my God, are you going to keep buying books? You're not reading them, you're not finishing them. And I would get a little bored at everything because I would only be able to make so, you know, very little progress. So um, I started experimenting with audiobooks. So now in my very early morning commute to work, I get, you know, half an hour that I fully dedicate to audiobooks, which is pretty much the same as reading a book. So, um, so recently I've had a couple of interesting audiobooks. I revisited the four hour work week by Tim Ferriss, which I believe was just a good thing to, to freshen that up. I mean, there's a newly edited, you know, there's a revised, uh, uh, edition that came out. Um, there's another one that is really interesting, uh, and it's called, it's by James Clear and it's called Atomic Habits. I don't know if you've heard about it, but it's all about the, you know, our mind and how it works and how to develop habits in a way which you can make them be sustainable. Because the problem with habits is that you're forcing yourself so much to do something that just doesn't come naturally, that it, explain, it explains to you so well and so easily, you know, the, the basis of habits. Now, let me get to my favorite, because uh, this is a book that I wanna say probably came out a couple of years ago, and it's called Never Split the Difference. Hmm. Split the Difference, Have you, I don't know if you've heard about it, but no, it's no, no about negotiation as and as i speak with you i'm going to look up the author because i just think it's so worth it for people to check it out but um it's a book written by someone who used to be a hostage negotiator for the fbi so imagine how many you know how much wisdom there can be in someone who explains to us you know how he handled hostage situations within the fbi it, his name is chris boss so the Yasem is V as in Victor O-S-S. Never split the difference. It has so many anecdotes. It has so many interesting stories. And from somebody trying to rob a bank that you have to negotiate with, so they release a hostage, it teaches you so much. 
about what happens or what should happen and what resources we have when we sit down across from somebody at a table where we're about to define our future, we're about to define our salary, where we're about to say yes to a job or, or going back and forth when we're trying to buy a property. So I would say that lately, the one that has stuck in my mind the most is Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. And see, that's why I love doing these shows because I get all these insights on books that I want to be reading. So that's what yeah. I'm glad to do. So thank you for sharing that one. I'll definitely check that one out. Now, there are some people who are pretty pessimistic about the future, and there are some who are extremely optimistic about the future. Where do you fall in general about the future on the pessimistic versus uh, uh, cynicism side? How do you, are you pessimistic or optimistic about the future in general? You know what I I've you know I've been blessed with with having a little bit of a default type of optimism which I really don't know where it comes from I mean I'm just maybe blessed because I had you know optimistic parents and I grew up you know in within a context that was full of optimism and and I've had my share of of terrible moments you know um, but uh, but but I'm generally very optimistic. And uh, I really think that the more I learned about the world we live in and the world that we left behind 20, 30, 50, 100 years ago, I think this is a great time to be alive. And I think we're going through a lot of challenges and I think technology is changing, but nothing that hasn't happened at this level or similar level before. So, you know, a lot of people are going through the motions of how technology is replacing jobs, how you know, how the politics are so polarized in this country, et cetera. But I just feel that this is just part of the motions and it's an opportunity to stand out as an optimistic person, as, as someone that can see the better side of things, the better side of people. So I generally find myself as someone who's pretty optimistic about the world. Well, my, my friends gave me a nickname and they call me Michael Happy Ass Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> And they, they, they asked me, so how in the heck can you be so optimistic all the time? Well, as I look back over my life and I look at all the adversities and challenges that I've gone through, for me, every day is a great day because I've been through hell and back. Yeah. And so, again, I, like you, I, believe, I don't believe there's ever been a better time to be alive than right now on the planet. And at the same time, I recognize all the challenges that we have in our world. But I do believe that as, as humanity, Mm -hmm. there's a divine order in the universe and I believe this divine order this energy and intelligence that created this amazing universe we live in it knows exactly what it's doing and it's not going to let us little humans destroy its creation so I think we're going through some growing pains right now as a species but I ultimately believe we're moving in the right direction and that's just just my perception of reality absolutely so, so here, here's another question for you, last icebreaker question. If I gave you a magic wand, and with this magic wand, you could create anything your heart desires, what would your life look like 10 years from now? Wow, that's a tough one. That is a tough one. 10 years from now. You know what? Um, I'll tell you this. I mean, there are certain things that, that we all want, right? I mean, we, always, you know, we all want... Uh, you know, to grow our careers, to, to maybe have more recognition, to keep having work, for projects to grow. And, and I do believe that, yeah, those are things that are all doable. And I feel that I'm working towards, you know, certain goals, et cetera. Now, the magic wand, so, so I feel that a lot of the stuff that anybody could visualize is something I wouldn't waste a, a magic wand on. You know what I mean? Because at some point, I feel it will happen. It will, you know, be a lot of work, et cetera. But if I could use a magic wand, I would probably use it to try to, you know, to try to make people be more forgiving in mm. years from now. And the reason is that, you know, if there's a challenge that I have as I go through my life, through my work and, and you know, through family situations, et cetera, is, you know, how people hold so many grudges because we all have had negative experiences. We all have been hit hard. We, you know, it's, it's, it's a, you know, life can be tough in many aspects, but I wish I could use a magic wand. So in 10 years, I could run into 99.999% of the people that I run into and make sure that most of them have actually been forgiving and are not being dragged by their past, but they're more like present in the time. 
wow, that's a that would be a great use of a magic wand. <laughs> that's that's a beautiful story. All right, so now I want you to introduce Alberto Sardinas, the professional. So you talk, we talked a little bit about your podcast, but tell us a little bit about what you do. All right, so um, I've been a media a media guy all my life. I uh, my main gig, my full time job is you know with Spanish language media. I work for for a large uh, broadcasting company, uh, and I've been with them for fourteen years. And um, my career with them has had different stages, but basically, what I do um, today is I am blessed to host two radio shows and a television show. So I host a local radio show in Miami that airs 11 to 3, 11 a.m. to 3 p.m. on one of the, you know, uh, most uh, prominent radio stations, Spanish language radio stations here in Miami, where I play music and we do giveaways and share, you know, brief news. And, and we sort of like, you know, we're a type of, like, you know, kind of a companion for people at work. And, and that, you know, that's kind of like my, no, that's kind of like, no, that is my bread and butter. I mean, radio has been my full-time gig for a very long time. So, so that's what I, I do. On, during weekends, I, I host a syndicated show where people call me to share personal stories. So between songs, I'll open the lines and people will share stories that have to do with, you know, difficult times. Sometimes it's infidelity. Sometimes it's losing their jobs. There's a lot of family distance, of course, because they're, you know, we, we're a very, you know, a very large immigrant community here in the U.S. You know, when you speak Spanish, you're speaking to people that came here, um, and and a lot of them have family members somewhere else, or they've even left their significant other in Mexico or Venezuela or or you know um, uh, the Dominican Republic or, or whatever you know they're from. So we get a lot of those family distance uh, stories, and I try to give them encouragement and hope on a very friendly basis, so people know that I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a psychiatrist, I'm just a friend on the radio listening to. Um, what they're going through. I've been doing that show for about um, 13 years now. Uh, it started being a local show in Miami, and now it's a 22 market syndication. So we reached the West Coast, Texas, uh, you know, Chicago, New York, and all the top U.S. markets. So, so that's the second radio show that I do. And then in the morning, I host a, a variety, um, you know, a lifestyle show called El News Café. So instead of the News Café, it has the L as in Spanish, El Carro, El, El, you know, La Casa. So it's El News Café. And basically what we do is we um, take news we can use and we just try to get people very useful information. It's a local show in Miami. So one day we could have, you know, a, a fashion segment, a cooking segment, a do-it-yourself at home uh, segment, and then we'll share a letter from the audience and have a psychologist or a coach help us out with the letter. So it's all about useful information. So I have, um, you know, a, an early morning uh, commute. I'm, I'm at the station by 5.30 in the morning. We're on the air at 7 a.m. And um, that's on television. And then we have recordings and all sorts of things. And then I go live on the radio 11 to 3. When I get home, uh, some days I record um, the Passion Accomplished podcast, which is the first time I ever create content in English, uh, which is, a, you know, the podcast and the show that you were on recently. And, um, and of course, I try to dedicate some time to my family and, and work out and, you know, try to find that tough mix of, you know, what do you do with the extra time? But yeah, that's a, that's a, a long answer for what I do. That's wonderful, man. That's really wonderful. And you know, we're going to talk, we're talking about entrepreneurs and we're going to have, you know, the focus is on that. But I want to start, first of all, by talking about your podcast, which you just mentioned, which is the Passion Accomplished Podcast. And I want to begin by sharing, first of all, how much I truly enjoy your podcast, because you provide practical and easy to follow advice that's easy to digest and follow. But what I most enjoy about your podcast is your humility and your authenticity. Because as I listen to your podcast, I get the feeling that you truly care about people and you truly want them to succeed. So, so by definition, you know, you are a celebrity and yet you remain really humble. So I'm curious, where does your humility come from? You know, I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. Like, you know, th this is how I see it, you know, I mean, um, I, I, I just believe that, you know, I, I, I don't feel I make an effort to be humble. I just think it takes a lot more work not to be humble. And I think that when you are not humble, you are just playing some part that you're creating in your mind. 
because I think that the moment, the moment you believe you are either more important or more known or more recognized by, by, you know, by, by people than, than your next door neighbor or, or your, you know, uh, somebody sitting across from you in a cubicle at work, it just starts creating a picture that is not real because this is what happens, Michael. Today I do all these things, but I, ha I have no idea what I'll be doing tomorrow. I mean, you see all these people that go on TV and unfortunately they said one wrong word that could be perceived as, you know, uh, as inappropriate, as racist, as anything. And they, you know, their careers are ruined overnight. So what I'm saying is that I'm not wishing this for myself or for anybody, but what I'm saying is that one day you're on TV and you're on the radio and you have millions of followers and the next day, who knows? You know what I'm saying? So if I, if I, any, anybody who believes that being known and, uh, and having a following is a way to identify who you are, it's probably about to go through some eye-opening moment that will prove to them that that's not the case. Mm -hmm. So I guess my blessing is not being you know, showered by, by the concept of fame or celebrity, et cetera, and being able to navigate it in a way where I enjoy it, because I will tell you that I do enjoy going to the supermarket and having a conversation with someone who says, hey, I watch you every day. I mean, I enjoy that. I'm, I, you know, it's, it's nice feedback to get. But now, depending on that, it's definitely not a good idea because what's going to happen the day I don't have that? You know, so, so I, I try to be very cautious of that. And then I have a wife who does not care about what I do in terms of being a celebrity. And, you know, I get home and I still have to do the dishes. You know what I mean? Like, it really doesn't change a lot of things, you know? I mean, we're blessed. We're doing well. You know, we get to travel. We get, you know, you, you have a job, you work in media, and we've had, you know, we've been able to go to theme parks and not pay for it, you know, like because you do a broadcast and you can bring it. I mean, there, there are perks to the job, but, but none of those perks, I believe, should define anybody because you have them one day and the next day you really don't know. And I believe that maybe just not believing in that crazy story of being more than anybody else can probably give you a little bit more sustainability in, in, in an industry where there's so much of the celebrity factor involved. Yeah. See, and, and, and there, there goes your humility again. I, I really appreciate, I appreciate that. Now, so I'm, I'm curious though, so with that being said, how important is faith and spirituality to you? You know, it's, I, I think it's really important. By, just to give you a little bit back, you know, background on the spiritual side of, of me, and, and I have to tell you also about my wife. I come from you know, what's considered a mixed marriage in terms of religion. So my mother was Jewish. My, you know, my dad is Catholic. And um, it's interesting because neither one of them converted to the other religion when they got together. They were married in a very, you know, very flexible, so to speak, ceremony, uh, you know, not very conservative in either way. And when, as we were growing up, they allowed us to experiment both religions in a way where my dad would go with my mom to her synagogue and my mom would go with my dad to his church. And uh, it was pretty cool. So I kind of like grew up with both things. They always gave us a choice that they don't impose anything on us. Um, I, I've, I've always enjoyed Judaism a lot because there's so much culture behind it and there's so much sense of community behind it. I've, I've maybe, you know, leaned more, a little bit more towards that. But, you know, but it's, it's funny. I mean, I, I say that we're in my house, we're raising a very confused child because we give Hanukkah presents and we do Christmas presents as well, which is kind of weird. But here's what was very reassuring, Michael. The fact that 10 years ago, um, I, was, uh, I was hired to do a speaking tour in about six different cities in the U.S. And as I, we got, as I got to the last city in the schedule, which was San Diego, California, I, um, I met who is, you know, the person who's now my wife. So, so we meet, you know, during speaking engagements, she was part of the staff. We sort of like started talking. Then she gave me a tour, you know, showed me around town and then we were long distance for about two and a half years. So as I start getting to know her, she happened to have the same background, but the opposite. She has a Catholic mother and she mm -hmm. had a Jewish dad. So, so the parent that we didn't have, 
which was, you know, her dad passed. I never met him. And my mom passed and she never met my mother. They were both Jewish. And sure. in an effort to honor them, we got married, you know, in, in a Jewish, in a, in a Jewish wedding. We, we had a Jewish wedding. Uh, but, and, and then, you know, my, my daughter, our daughter goes to a Jewish school. But again, you know, we really enjoy Judaism, uh, not only as a way to get in touch with God, but also in a way where, where there's a sense of culture, there's a sense of reason behind the different customs, and they just have beautiful celebrations. But amongst everything, I mean, and above everything, I'm a, I'm a big believer in a, in, a, in a big force that I call God, and people have the right to call, you know, in different ways, but I'm just a big believer in God. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I think it's important to have a spiritual connection, whatever nurtures your soul, whatever works for you. So that's absolutely an, absolute important part of my life. Now, you mentioned that, you know, you have an MBA from what, the University of Miami, correct? Correct. Okay. So when did you actually get bitten by the entrepreneur bug? You said that, you know, your parents were both in business, but when did you have a sense that, you know what, one day I want to be an entrepreneur? Well, so I was probably, let me think, eight years old, nine years old or something, right? And um, my, our parents, you know, back in Venezuela, they say, hey, we're going to go visit your grandmother. My grandmother used to live in Miami, right? So he's like, we're going to go there for the summer, which we had done a couple of times before. And one day we go to, I'm going to call it Walgreens, but it was just a pharmacy back then. I remember it could have been Eckerd or something to the effect of the 80s, right? And, uh, and my dad says, do you want to buy some candy? I'm like, sure, I'll buy some candy. He's like, have you ever thought about maybe selling candy when you go back to school? And I'm like, hmm, that sounds like a good plan. And uh, so we bought, I remember, a big, big bag, huge bag of Milky Way candy, right? Took it back to Venezuela, started selling those within school, and I got in trouble so bad because <laughs> you were not supposed to sell things in school. Right. So here's what happened. We are selling. I mean, like, I think my dad suggested it more like maybe we're like around our building or something. I don't think he ever thought we were going to take it to school. Right. So, <laughs> so I take him to school. And of course, what happens? There's no way to be discreet when you're eight, nine, or 10 years old. So all the kids in recess are coming my way because everybody knows that I have Milky Way candy from the US. Right. God knows how much I wanted to charge. Of course. You know, teacher realizes what's going on. The school principal realizes what's going on. I get taken away the bag. I'm, you know, I'm thinking it was probably nine. So I get taken away the bag. I get taken away the money they take it away also. And uh, what was really interesting, I said, we'll give it back to you when your parents come. Please don't do this again in school. Happy to see you doing it at, you know, at home or whatever, but don't try to sell stuff in school. <laughs> and the money, when my parents come to pick me up, the money got lost. Uh -oh. Candy was there, but the money got lost, right? And I got so upset. <laughs> and I had like this fit and I started crying. I said, that was my money. I was making my money. So that is probably the first and earliest story I can think of that has to do with entrepreneurship. <laughs> That's great. That's a great story. Now, Anthony Robbins once said that the key to success is constant and never-ending improvement, which I believe is true. So what are some of the practices or things that you do to become the best version of yourself? So I think we are all work in progress, always. And, 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 and you know, there are two groups of people. The group of people that, that basically don't accept that we are work in progress and the people that do accept it. So a lot of people go through life running into the same problems, same issues, same limitations, same lack of growth, and they just won't admit it. They say, I'm fine, I'm doing good. No, no, it's somebody else's fault. I'm not going at this job because my boss doesn't like me. And blah, 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 blah. You know what I mean? Like, they're just complaining. And then there's a group of, you know, the, the other group in, in which I, I strongly believe you and I are included is a group that says, okay, you know, how do I make this better? And, you know, what can I do better? And I've seen people um, that are always learning and always you know improving i went to the book launch of a biography of a gentleman that has been working in radio and this happened two nights ago it's a co-worker of ours this guy is 89 years of age he's been working in the radio business for 67 years wow every day he wakes up in the morning and at 7 a.m 
is at the office wearing a suit and a tie that his wife chooses for him beautifully every day. And he is one of our AM announcers. So he does commercials and he does news and he does all these great things, but he's the nicest guy around. So he's speaking in front of the audience because they're, he didn't write the book. Somebody wrote a biography for him. So, um, so he's thanking the guy that wrote the biography and he's you know, thanking all his friends and family for being there. And he's like, and by the way, I still have so much to do, he said. Wow. I still got so much I want to do. And what, you know, it's, it's basically, it's, it's a synonymous of learning, if you think about it. When you're saying I've got something else to do, I want to do more, all you're saying is I want to learn. I want to hit myself with a wall and I want to try, you know, to find a way around it. So I just, I'm a big believer in that. So, so the, the audiobooks have helped me a lot because they just allow me to focus on a subject for a few days. I mean, if you're listening for a 30 hour commute, it may take you two weeks to listen to a book, it may take a week, depending on the length of the book. Um, never split the difference to me like a month, it's a longer book. But um, I, I feel I'm just like, I, I love learning and I also take care of a lot. And this is something that I can probably recommend to people listening and watching. I also try to take care of a lot of my newsfeed on Facebook, for example, and on Twitter. You have to curate it in a way where you actually are fed relevant stuff because we don't realize it. And we then like to, you know, engage with the unproductive stuff. So the more we engage with the unproductive stuff, like the newsfeed these days is uh, it's a reflection of your interests, right? So it's a good idea to see what's popping up on their social media. So you can actually find other things that will make you grow, that will make you learn. And that way is also a, a manner in which you're going to open up Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram and not feel as guilty because all you're doing is the non-thinking and the looking at the funny videos and the funny pictures. And maybe you're getting a little bit more of the learning part of it as well. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Now, as a man who happens to be black, I've had to deal with being called a sellout from people of my own race because I've chosen not to put myself in a black box. So have you ever had to deal with something similar as a man of, of color? You know what? It's a, that's a very, very good question. I think that in our society, we, uh, we get called a sellout uh, in, very, in so many nonverbal non ways that you don't need to hear it the way you unfortunately had to hear it to believe it and to know it and, and to feel it, right? And... Um, you know, I used to struggle a lot, a lot with, you know, with the language barrier. Why? Because when I, you know, moved to the U.S., I could speak English, I could communicate in English, but my English wasn't fluent enough to the point in which people could understand me without being distracted by my accent, right? So, so that's something I had to work on. And were people unfair to me because of that? Absolutely. Did I lose a whole bunch of opportunities because of that? Absolutely. Now, did I blame it on others? No, I didn't blame it on others. I just blamed it on myself. And I started, you know, noticing and trying to figure out what could make my English better in a way. I mean, we're always going to have an accent. I mean, you don't realize it, but you have your own accent. You know what I mean? Like everybody has an accent. Sure. And especially when you're speaking a foreign language. I mean, you have an accent of the language that you learned of what has been always your language. But, you know, your accent may be different than, you know, somebody from another part of the U.S., for example. So we all have accents. Now, when it comes to your second language, it's even harder because you were not taught, you, know, you, never taught, you were never taught to speak that language and to use your mouth in a native way. So what I did is I got into, into accent reduction coaching, understanding that you're never going to get rid of your accent 100%, but that you want to make sure that your accent isn't distracting it doesn't let other people be thinking, oh, okay, it's like when you have like a, like a fly right here, it's like, you know, it's like a fly on your forehead and you know, people are trying to listen to you, but they're, all they're doing is watching the fly on your forehead. So that's kind of the kind of thing that I was trying to get rid of. So yeah, I did run into that a lot, but it was mostly silent, I would say. And I believe that most of us um, run into being called sellouts or being discriminated in ways that are unfortunately uh, silent ways. So we have to also be very, you know, uh, perceptive and make sure that we understand the messages that we're getting. And again, don't focus and don't blame it on other people. I mean, if they if they are racist or racist or not, if they don't like Latinos or not, I mean, that's their deal. Just, you know, what is it that you can do to, you know, being authentic to yourself, 
in a way where you don't sell out, you know, your principles and, and who you are and make sure that you can have more success. But, you know, even when you have success, you know that. I mean, when you have success, you're still going to have people that don't like you. So who cares? <laughs> exactly. I like what the, the basketball player Charles Barkley said one time. He said, you know, in life, he said, 50% of the people going to like you no matter what you do, and 50% of the people not going to like you <laughs> for whatever you do. So don't worry about either one. Just be you. Just be Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Absolutely. You're not harming anybody. That, that's the whole thing. Just don't harm people. Exactly. That's, that's how I see it. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Now, so let's, let's jump into a little bit of an entrepreneurship conversation. So one of the things I like about your, or you talk about on your podcast is that it's okay to start a side hustle. And I, I, I like that term. So explain to the audience who may not know what a side hustle is. Tell us a little bit about what that is. Okay, so it all starts with whatever we're doing these days. I mean, you have a full-time job. You may like it, you know, in the scale from one to 10. You may like it a five. You may like it just a one. You may have, you know, may like it a 10. But there's also many reasons, you know, many reasons that can lead you to want to do something else. And my life has been full of those transitions. So I started being a producer in the media world. And I did that for the longest time, but I wanted to be on the air. So I, you know, I began working towards that goal without leaving the full-time job, without leaving my main activity. So as I was being a producer, I also started looking for opportunities that would lead me to go on the air, which was part of what I wanted to do. Now, in order to get those opportunities, I had to do a lot of free work. I had to make myself available a million times to people that maybe I didn't like 100%, but I had to make myself available and prove myself. For example, the first time I had an opportunity to go on the air, um, when I moved to Miami, again, I did radio back in Venezuela, but when I moved to Miami, I was a producer, I was an intern, an assistant producer, et cetera. But I told somebody, I want to be on the air. And he said, do you really want to be on the air? He said, yes, I really want to be on the air. And I said, okay, can you be here on December 31st at 11.59 p.m.? while everybody else is enjoying their New Year's celebration. And can you be in charge of the station? Do you want to go on the air at that time? And I paused for a moment. I thought about it. I'm like, my friends are going to be partying. Everybody's going to be having a good time. I said yes. And I really thought about it for a moment. And I thought it was so silly to think about it because I should have just taken it immediately. But I thought about it for like two seconds. So, you know, while everybody was partying, I was driving to work at 11.50, and then somebody else was leaving the station, the jock from the, you know, that, that, that finished at midnight, and right at midnight, I started until 6 a.m. to be on the air. That was my first opportunity to be on the air here in the U.S. So, so that's a side gig. I still had to do my producer work, and then the same thing happened for television. So that's why I say I've transitioned more than once from a side gig that has, has I've turned into a full-time job because I did radio, then that became my full-time gig, and then for years, I had wanted to do television, but nobody really paid attention. I said, well, am I that ugly? Am I that not talented? What's going on? And they say, I mean, you just have to fight for it. So for 10 years, Michael, 10 years of my life, as I had a full-time radio job on the air and in production, I started contributing on television for free. So every time they would call me to do something on TV, I would say yes. And I was a contributor in, the, in, in topics of motivation, I was a guest co-host. I was a reporter. I was uh, sent to do giveaways in the middle of the newscast to give away money so people would watch more and that kind of thing. I mean, I did so many things until two years ago. I had the opportunity of sitting down with my boss who manages a, you know, a group of local radio and TV stations in Miami and said, listen, you know, can we cut it with the contributor thing and can we look into this as a serious uh, full-time gig? So now... I have sort of like two full times, but are very, you know, uh, you know, very enjoyable. You know, I mean, I, I really just get a lot from them, which is my radio gig and my TV gig. They have become the full time. So the side hustle is simply the concept of transitioning to something else, but being realistic. I, I tell people, don't quit your day job. Don't be that silly. We have too many responsibilities. And I, one of my, my you know, what I tell people when we're talking about how to transition is I say, listen, if there's, if you are, if you have a dream, if you want to change careers, if you want to become a business owner, maybe you want to stay within the same field, but you want to become a business owner as opposed to working for somebody else, make sure you fix the full time first. Because if you're unhappy 
if you're frustrated and if you don't have the energy to go through your day at a full-time job that you dislike, there's no chance in the world that you will get home at seven o'clock at night to try to develop some kind of project for your future. So I tell people, don't even start there. Fix your life first with what you have, with play the cards that you've been dealt. And once you fix that, once you are confident, once you are what I call the forever employee, then you can start working towards a passion project that can in the future transition into your new full-time activity. Yeah, see, that's, that's, that's wonderful advice. <clears throat> and what I love about your story is that you were so committed to being on television that you were willing to do whatever it took. And so you sacrificed temporarily. And although that temporary was 10 years, <laughs> you, you, you sacrificed those 10 years because ultimately you knew where you wanted to end up. You knew you wanted to be on television and look where you ended up. So that's a very powerful message in perseverance and patience. And we need those types of things if we're going to be entrepreneurs because stuff happens. <laughs> but if we have a clear vision of what it is we want and we slowly take steps to get there, eventually we can get there. I'm absolutely certain of that. So now one of the biggest excuses people use for not following their dreams is they don't have enough time. I just don't have enough time. So what do you say to people who say that? I think it's an excuse. I think it's an excuse because when, when, when there's drive, there's time. When there's passion, there's time. When there's love for what you want to do, you, know, you will find the time. The problem is that we also want to take some breaks and we also get tired and we also you know, have responsibilities and commitments. But I am, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm obsessed with managing my time and, and teaching people how to manage their time, which is never, there, there, there's no cookie cutter thing. There's no formula here that will work. Whatever I tell you, you know, may work or may not work for you, but it's just a matter of being mindful of what you do with your time. So for example, one of the things that I encourage everybody to do is to really understand, you know, what this schedule looks like and to allocate the time, even if it's just for thinking about that passion project, because you may not have an idea. A lot of people do have a dream, do have an idea, do have a growing um, alternative to what they're doing, a, a side project, or even they have partners or they've invested money. But, but you really have to understand what your day looks like and where is, your, you know, where, where is it that your time is really going? Because it's very unusual that somebody has a full-time job that takes up more than eight, nine hours. I mean, some people unfortunately go to the 12-hour job, but that's when I you know, talk so much about fixing the full-time first because no matter what position, what level you're in in a company, you know, working 12 hours a day nonstop is not sustainable, number one, and it doesn't give you the right uh, parameters and the right situation to be able to start some kind of side hustle. It doesn't even give you time to go to the bathroom for that matter, but what I'm trying to say is that um, you have to understand where your time goes and you have to find those gaps, those time gaps that I call to be able to start developing that project. And that could be 30 minutes a day. It doesn't have to be two hours or three hours. It can be just 30 minutes a day and maybe an hour or two during the weekends. I mean, you have to sacrifice something and you can still dedicate yourself to your family, to your kids, to your wife, to taking a vacation and everything else but make it, give yourself some deadlines. You know, my wife and I sometimes, uh, you know, have this conversation where I tell her I have this deadline and she's like a deadline for what? I'm like, what's the podcast? And she's like, well, the podcast is yours. I'm like, yes, it's a self-imposed deadline if that's what we're trying to say. So, so it's funny because she's now come to understand that I have a lot of self-imposed deadlines, but if you don't have that, you're never going to move forward in life. Even if it's only for job searching for something else or for something that pays more. So, so I've identified, you know, a, a couple of hours here, a couple of hours there, and I just block the time and I put things on my schedule, even when it has to do with reading some material, even when it has to do with just writing some ideas, I put it on my calendar. I mean, my phone is always ringing with reminders and I'd rather see that than distract myself. And unfortunately, you know, you don't get to hang out as much with, you know, some people, some coworkers. I've had coworkers tell me, oh my God, since you do this, you haven't really been hanging out much with us. I'm like, well, guys, I'm busy, you know? And then you also take that opportunity to say, hey, maybe I want to pay more attention to my friends as well. So it's finding that balance, but you need to have the motivation and that only comes from within. 
Absolutely. And one of the things I do in, in one of my workshops when, you know, that's always a big issue is I just don't have time. And so I, I, I pose this question to, to the audience and I'll usually pick someone. I'll say, so think about something that you say you don't have time to do. And people will say, you know, I don't have time to work out. You know, I don't have time to read. I don't have time to meditate. So they have all these things that they say they don't have time to do. And I said, now bring that to mind. And you say you don't have time to do this, right? And they said, right, I don't have time. I said, now, I want you to think about this. If I gave you a million dollars, a million dollars to do that thing you say you don't have time for, do you think you would do it? Everybody says, oh, yeah, for a million dollars, I'd do it. So, but where'd the time come from? The time is always there. It's not the time, it's the desire. And desire literally creates time. If you desire something strongly enough, you'll create the time to make it happen. And so it's a real challenge to get people's mindsets to shift away from, I don't have time, but if I can get you to see that what's possible, because again, if, if, if I flashed a million dollars in front of someone that said they didn't have, I guarantee they'd, fit, they'd find time, right? So Absolutely. what we need to do is how can we access that desire that came up when I put that million dollars in your face. That's the key, tapping into that desire. And that's, as you mentioned, that's the inner work that we have to be willing to do, to tap into our passions. Now, as we start to wind down here, a couple of the questions I wanted to ask, and the big one is, most people simply don't wanna say, I'm scared, I'm afraid. Fear is the destroyer of dreams. So what advice would you give to someone that's stuck in fear? You know, it's funny because I was having this conversation um, with a very good friend of mine yesterday, and he's going through a very difficult time, you know, very uncertain times in his life. And I remember this concept that I heard a long time ago, and, and I wish I could quote someone because this is not me. This is somewhere, you know, I read this somewhere but it's really worked for me as a way to confront fear. Fear is always going to be there. So fear has to become your friend. That is the first thing. Trying to defeat fear is absolutely impossible because fear is part of our human nature. So, so fear will be there. Fear, fear will be a thought. If you are, you know, I recently started uh, doing, you know, very short meditations with the Headspace app, which has been amazing. And uh, one of the things they tell you is that you know, you can, whenever you get a thought, you have two options. You can either hold on to that thought, which is what we typically do, or you can see it as a thought that will pass, that is just kind of like visiting. So, so most of our negative thoughts, we can see them as visitors as opposed to residents in our mind. And I believe that fear is one of those, you know, feelings and sensations that we can probably see more like a visitor and say, okay, so here comes fear. I understand. I understand why you're here, but let me, let me just move forward because I just can't coexist with you all the time. Now there's a good, good way. And I love this, which is transforming fear into curiosity. And, and this is a very powerful concept because when you are fearful of something, turn it into being curious about what could be going on there. And it's really useful. I've used this so many times in my life. Every time I'm challenged by something, I'm only wondering what that means for me. So, I mean, I'm not going to tell you I don't get anxious because I do get anxious. I mean, we all have our moments of anxiety and, uh, you know, and, uh, and I happen to, uh, to, um, to talk to friends, you know, sometimes I have a conversation with two of my best friends, Ben and Jerry, and uh, <laughs> in different flavors, and you know, it could happen. So, but what I'm saying is that we all have our mechanisms, our negative ways of dealing with things, and we all fall for those. But if we are able to um, confront fear by being curious about it, it's a way in which we're going to dig in a lot deeper into the fear and realize that for the most part, it isn't that bad. For the most part, it's not going to matter in a week or a month or in six months from now. And for the most part, it's going to mean something. So when you're not ready to jump into something, you've checked your variables. You're not going to, you know, you know you're, you're not going to go bankrupt by doing it. You're not going to put your family at risk. I mean, you're going to be safe. You're not jumping off a bridge. 
or you're doing something that just makes you uneasy, wonder what it will mean for you to conquer that and what the challenges for that will mean. And it will get a lot easier for you to experiment and get your feet wet. Yeah, yeah. One of the things I do whenever I'm faced with something that scares me, I ask myself a couple of questions. The first question I ask myself, if, if, if I'm wanting to do something, but I'm scared to do it, I'll ask myself this. What's the worst thing that can happen if I do this? What's the worst thing that can happen? So I remember when I, when, I, when I first became a speaker, I'll never forget. I, w- I joined Toastmasters and I had no experience. I didn't really know what Toastmasters was, but I, I had this practice of asking myself this question. Well, when I joined Toastmasters the very first day, one of the speakers didn't show up and they asked if anybody else wanted to give a speech. Well, it was my first day there. I hadn't prepared a speech or anything. Well, I raised my hand and everyone looked at me like, what, the new guy's gonna give a speech? But I raised my hand and I said, I'll give a speech. Now, I had seen previous that the first speech they'd give is called an icebreaker. And so I knew the structure. I said, well, okay, so I just need four minutes. It's only four minutes. So (laughs) I sat back and my heart was racing. I mean, literally my shirt was doing this. I was scared scared to death. I said, but I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. So I asked myself, what's the worst thing that can happen? Well, I can get up there and not have anything to say. Well, that's okay. What's the next thing that could happen? Well, I could look really stupid. (laughs) That's okay. So what's the worst thing that can happen? I said, well, that's really about the worst thing that can happen. I just won't have anything to say and I'll look silly. And the next question I asked myself is, is it going to physically hurt me? not going to hurt me. So there's no harm coming my way if I do this and fail. So if I can answer those couple of questions and get through them, I can face pretty much any fear. As long as it's not going to hurt me, I recognize that the fear is coming from the thoughts I have about the thing that I'm thinking about doing. And so what we can do is if we recognize that fear and excitement feels the same in the body. Think about that. When you're really scared, it feels the same as when you're really excited. What's the difference? The thoughts that I'm having about it. So if I'm giving a speech and I'm worried about whether or not I'm going to say the right thing or whatever, I'm going to get, I'm going to feel that fear and those thoughts are going to start compounding themselves because that's just the way the ego works and the mind works. But at the same time, if I say, man, I'm really excited. I get to share what I'm really passionate about. I get to empower these people. That feeling feels the same as the feeling of fear. But now the thoughts create this drive, this energy. Wow, I can use this. And boom, I get on stage, man, and I'm like a fish in water. (laughs) But, But it's a matter of understanding how powerful our thoughts are. Because... 90% 90% of the time we're scared of something, it's not that thing that's causing the fear. It's the thoughts we're having about that thing that's generating that fear energy. So whenever you feel fear, recognize it's just an energy. It's just an emotion, not good or bad. Acknowledge it. Change the way you think about it, and it'll change how you act towards it. Very, very powerful. So last question. So you've got entrepreneurs that are watching this and they say, wow, okay, so this guy's overcome some adversities and, you know, he's, he's now living his dream and he's got the life, you know, he's got the family, he's got the wife, he's got these things going on and he's got the balance or whatever. So what advice do you want to give to those up and coming entrepreneurs who may be on the fence teetering whether or not they should make that leap? to become an entrepreneur? What advice would you give? Well, you know, I, I, I would give the same advice to people that are trying to make a career change. I think that this is all about going, you know, living and, and, and fighting for our dreams, regardless of being an entrepreneur or being an employee or, or whatever it is. I mean, for example, when you think about it, I have 
you know, aside of my, of, you know, part of what I do has to do with entrepreneurship in terms of my social media and my eBooks and my publications and the podcast itself. But at the same time, I'm an employee as well. And, and the reason why I'm an employee and I enjoy it is because it's meaningful to my career. I enjoy what I do every day. So I've been able to find a good combination. Um, I, I think that, you know, it's the biggest mistake we can make is to think that, that our life will ever be balanced, you know, 100%. I, I just don't believe in the concept of balance. I just think that we can grow, we can be in a better position, you know, financially, spiritually, emotionally, and, and, and it's just part of the growth. But there's always going to be some element of unbalancing and, and an element that's just going to push you around. Again, with this same friend that I was having a conversation with, you know, he, he felt that because of different situations that he's been going through, he felt like, you know, like he was back to square one in many, th in many ways. And, and I was telling him, hey, you're not back to square one because, you know, if, if we were, you know, on the first floor and we're trying to get to the second floor and, and life would be about that and, you know, and, and, and you were looking at your situation, you are not on the first step. I mean, you probably, what happens is that you went to step number 20 and, you know, God pushed you back to step 15 or even step 10. But if you put things into perspective, you're still at 10 or 15. You're not on, on that first step that you were 10 years ago. And um, so I think it's about going up that ladder, but understanding that gosh, God is going to push you back in many ways and, and challenge you in many ways. And you're always going to get a, a, that taste of success a little bit. And then that may not have the perfect balance to be sustainable. So, I mean, I go through that all the time and I do have so many blessings. I mean, I wake up and I'm grateful for my wife, for my daughter, for, for my job, for our house, for, you know, for our health and so many, um, so many blessings that we have. But I, it's clear to me that just I had, as I had challenges before uh, and just as I lost my mother to breast cancer and I saw my radio show canceled, uh, and, and I went through a really bad breakup and these three things happened within 90 days in my life many years ago. Um, just as I've gone through that, I know that I will be challenged in the future. So I think it's not so much about finding that balance, but it's about being better as you were well saying, you know, a few minutes ago, how do I become a better husband? How can I become a better professional? How can I get closer to the career I want? So it's about that constant growth understanding that we will be challenged and we're not when we're challenged by somebody else or by the system or by the economy we're really being challenged by god in my opinion and the way i see it so i i know that as as many blessings that i have right now i know that god will challenge me at some point so it's a matter of how i can prepare for that by being stronger by having you know things like that we all hear about you know by having trying to create that little emergency fund for anything that could happen so, so I wouldn't strive for balance. I would strive for improving every area of your life and integrating them the best you can. So you have a wife that cares about your job. So you have a daughter that understands what you do for a living. So you have a job that understands that you have a daughter to get to. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's the key. Constant and never ending improvement. And know with absolute certainty that it is possible for you to create anything your heart desires. Now, I've gone through a lot of adversities in my life and I have a regular day job also, but I still have this dream and this vision of building not only a publishing company, but I've designed a series of programs for youth that uh, I say is gonna literally change the world. One of my biggest dreams is I wanna impact the lives of a billion people before I leave this planet. So that's a big vision. Absolutely. But I still have my day job until I can get to a point where that's bringing in enough constant revenue that I don't have to stress out over money. I, I made that mistake before. So know that you can do it. It's not going to be easy. And see, I think that's the problem with, with our society is that we live in this quick fix, instant gratification society. We want it right now. Everybody wants it right now. I don't think that's the way the universe works. I believe that everything happens for a reason and there's, there's divine order in everything. So when we get in alignment with what the universe has in store for us, we'll be guided 
to the right people, the right places, the right circumstances to ultimately bring our dreams to reality. But it's gonna take effort. It's definitely gonna take effort. So Mr. Alberto, I just wanna say thank you, my man, for spending an hour with us. So how can people find out more about you and listen to your podcast? Absolutely. So on social media, you know, either you like Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram, just search for Alberto Sardinas, and you will find both the Spanish account and the English account. We have two different accounts, so you can only, you know, so you can follow just your, uh, your language. And then, of course, uh, the Passion Accomplished podcast. I mean, we help people uh, fulfill their dreams, you know, even when they're doing their full time. I mean, we're just trying to make uh, side hustles into productive uh, endeavors. So all you have to do is search for Passion Accomplished and Passion Accomplished is available on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on TuneIn. And of course, you can always reach out to me, message me, get some feedback and uh, even suggest topics. So, so Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram and the Passion Accomplished podcast is there. And I want to thank you, Michael. You are so generous. I appreciate your time, your energy, your dedication and, and, and your honesty and your transparency in, in what you think, where you stand, what you believe in. And, and I have no doubt that you will accomplish that and a lot more. Absolutely. And I, I cannot recommend his podcast enough. And I, I really mean this from the bottom of my heart. Very insightful. And he doesn't put a lot of hype out there. He gives you practical, easy to follow steps. And I, I really, really enjoy listening to you. I listen to you on my way to work a lot of times. So again, thank you for that. And at the same time, make sure that you acknowledge your man, Mark, for being so awesome being on your team. <laughs> he's a production coordinator, amazing guy. Yeah, Mark is a patient guy and he's amazing. Yeah, so make sure you, you pat him on the back for me. Tell him I really appreciate the things he's done for me so far. Absolutely. Thank you again, uh, Michael. And, and thank you for, for, you know, to everybody listening and watching uh, for, for hearing us out and, and for being here. Great. So this concludes another episode of Joy, Passion, and Profit. So remember, express your joy, share your passions, and be grateful for your profits. We'll see you next episode. Take care.